welcome back to the Indie, a podcast from the Santa Barbara Independent, giving you what's happening in Santa Barbara. I'm here this week with Ethan Stewart, former Indie staffer, to discuss the cover on the Santa Barbara Maritime Museum's new show, celebrating the birth of surfing in California. So, hi, Ethan. Hello. Hi. So the story opens on Rennie Yader, who has shaped and designed surfboards for years. What was his take on California's beach culture, and how has he contributed to it over the years? Well, Rennie, Rennie's like about as legendary and impressive in the surf world as you can get at this point. You know, I think he turned 89 earlier this year, and he's been shaping surfboards since like the 40s, you know, early 50s. And I don't know if I can speak for him obviously he's just so much more knowledgeable and nuanced than i am <laughs> but his general take like his motivation for coming up with this show is essentially a desire to honor the people that helped start the sport of surfing in in the state of california you know the from that first sort of introduction from the hawaiian islands in the late 1800s um basically on through the end of world war ii and you know, at that time, surfing wasn't an industry. Uh, it was kind of endemic to itself. It's like you didn't even really know much about it unless you participated in it. You couldn't go to a store and buy something, you know, like you had to, it was all do it yourself. And that's the world that Rennie grew up in. You know, he, he was learning how to surf at a time when the first people to ever ride surfboards in the mainland US were still doing it, right? So he connects that period of time like really the origins all the way through to right now and there's really not many folks left who do that so in that way i i think his view i, I don't pretend to know what his view is per se on the culture but his motivation for this show is is really to educate and honor you know educate those of us today who don't know about the roots of this thing that we love and honor the people that helped make it all possible so Rennie partnered with the show at the Maritime Museum called Heritage, Craft, and Evolution about 20 years ago. Who else is or has been involved in this ongoing project? Yeah, so it started, he and this artist, Kevin Ansel, who is kind of an extended surf world individual. He's a pretty gifted 3D artist and works in a lot of different mediums. Kevin and Rennie, a number of years back, collaborated to make these kind of abalone shell inlay pintails and big waveboards they were really popular with collectors you know folks in town are probably familiar with them there's there's one on the wall down at the beach house and you know you just come across them here and there in town and they made a small collection of those and had a lot of success selling them and just people really digging on them and so they were trying to come up with what they might do together next. And they came up with this idea for an art show that sought to celebrate sort of the origins of surfing in the state. You know, it's, it's the wood board era. It's before the introduction of plastics and, and kind of the technologies that really exploded during World War II that changed surfing forever. So they're really looking at like redwood boards and balsa boards and just these big old planks. And, and so... They were thinking about how they could collaborate around that because one of the things Kevin does, maybe better than anyone else on the planet, is he's able to paint imitation wood. So he's able to paint on foam or canvas or whatever and make it look like totally organic, raw wood. And it's kind of remarkable how he does it. And so they were thinking, okay, well, maybe Rennie could shape some boards in these old styles and then Kevin could paint them to look like the old styles. 
and then they made it was actually as as Rennie tells it, um, it was Kevin who came up with the idea to bring in a third artist, this guy John Comer, um, who lived in Santa Barbara actually for a really long time. He's an old member of the Oak Group and former studio mate of Ray Strong, um, pretty well known pedigree uh, in the plain air painting world. And John came on board uh, to paint specific surf breaks, right? So it's like they could call out now a moment in time, a particular surf session at the San Lorenzo River mouth, say in Santa Cruz, and they could paint that. John could paint the scene, Rennie could shape the board, and then Kevin could make that board look just like a surfboard from that moment in time. And so it really just sort of tied the room together, so to speak, uh, in, in that celebratory effort, right? Yeah, and, and so that was the three of them, and, and off they went, you know, towards trying to, to create everything they needed to, to do a show, and life kind of got in the way. Things happened, both individually and just in the culture at large, and so that initial effort got aborted um, around 2007, 2008, and never got finished. Rennie continued shaping the boards. John was still interested in painting. Um, but Kevin had kind of gone, his artistic life had taken him in a different path. And so the whole thing just kind of eddied out for a while and looked like it might never happen. And then when they got kind of fired up to revive it and really finish the project and bring it out to the world, show it to people, they needed someone to step in and take over Kevin's role because he wasn't a part of it anymore. Um, and so they, they linked up with this guy from San Diego, Peter St. Pierre, and he works for Moonlight Glassing. And if you're familiar with surfboards at all you might know his name because he's one of the best airbrush artists around and so he was able to kind of step in and help them finish the collection because there's a bunch of boards you know um, that kind of tell the story and so he was able to step in and help do what kevin had been doing with the earlier board so how many boards were shaped for the final show and how do each of these final pieces reflect the changing beach scene in california there's two different collections. There's like the heritage collection. And then there's something they're calling the channel collection, which is something that just John and Rennie did by themselves, which is specific to Santa Barbara. So it's like four boards in the channel collection. And that I believe is Rincon, Point Conception, Refugio and El Capitan. And then I believe in the heritage collection, there are seven boards, but then there's two paintings as well. That is like kind of part of it. And, you know, they're, they're detailing things like, you know, they're, they're calling out moments like that first time that surfing was introduced here in the mainland in 1895 to calling out sessions, you know, like a Bob Simmons session at Rincon, um, calling out sessions at, you know, Dana Point back before development destroyed that wave. Uh, you know, so they're kind of these moments in time and these specific places. They were hallmarks along the way of the, sort of the development of surfing, I guess, within the state of California um, as it became more and more popular and started to create its own culture. These were places, San Onofre, Dana Point, uh, these were places that were, you know, they were stops on, on the way to Mecca. Um, and that was, they were just where it was happening. Yeah, in that way, you know, they're kind of showing you, each board kind of represents this moment in time uh, that no longer exists. The materials don't exist in the same way. The wave itself doesn't exist in the same way. Our coastline has changed so much over the decades. It kind of paints this picture slowly unfolding of a culture gradually taking root, you know, from being this kind of super fringe, almost novelty thing in the late 1800s to by the time you get up into the early 50s, 
you see it and there's like a bunch of cars parked at wind and sea and it's like a full-on vibe tribe you know and and like that's what surfing has become right like there is no beach culture as we know it in california without surfing really standing on the shoulders of surfing and yet surfing is not native to our coast you know like it it came here and it had to grow and develop and so these are snapshots of the early stages of that growth and development there's also like really cool cultural clues right like if you're looking at these boards you're like wow that thing was made out of a redwood slab and they used like metal rods to kind of like hold it together like it's so different and so you just you get a feel too i think for what it was like just to try to be a surfer at that time and then you can start imagining like what it might be like to carry an 85 pound hollow chambered surfboard down to the beach you know and and drag it out there and try to surf it. Yeah, you know, it's just, it, yeah, it kind of sparks the imagination a little bit and gets you thinking. Of, you, you see John's paintings and they're so well done. There, it's like a moment in time, right? Plain air does that. It transports us to a moment and, and really shows it to us in a really naked sort of way. And then you have these boards that, you know, Kevin and Rennie collabed on that are just these spitting images of, of the boards that were being ridden in that moment. And so it's just kind of all tied together in this really unique sort of transcendent way. And what was your favorite thing that you learned about surf culture and surfboard artistry through writing this piece and your research? Well, you know, it's surfing is something that's been a big part of my life forever. And, and I've been lucky over the years, I've been able to write a lot about it and been able to talk story with people that were my heroes and people that were legends and it's really accessible like that, right? Surfing isn't off happening in a stadium, you know, like it is, it is still very accessible. So to be able to like, just talk with someone like Rennie Yader is a gift, you know, like it is such an opportunity to kind of reach back through time and get this richness of experience. But then it's a really great way to also get a fresh perspective on the life I'm living right now, right? Because I'm only seeing through the eyes of me <laughs> and, and my 42 years, of it, you know? And, and so to kind of get him simply talking in a really conversational way, you know, not in any big showy way, but just, just chatting, um, little details that he would share, you know, were kind of profound to me. I mean, even just the way he phrased something about plastics, be like, oh, well, after World War II, plastics came in. And that's just such an obvious thing, right? To someone who lived through it. It's just like, oh, it's a big deal. It's a sea change. But for folks like myself and younger who have never known a world without plastics, it's kind of crazy to imagine, particularly like beach culture, for whatever reason, just seems to have become this unbelievable place for like really poor usage of plastic. <laughs> so it's like, there's just so much garbage plastic related to beach life. I think that, yeah, I don't know if there was any one thing that stands out as like, oh, I learned this. I didn't know this before. It's really just like the joy and to be honest, like the honor of getting to help share this story of what they've been doing, being a part of that lineage. You know, like I think surfing's at its best when it's seated in this notion of tradition, getting to, you know, just talk to John and Rennie and like, getting them to just share their motivation for creating a show like this is insight to part of that tradition that I otherwise wouldn't have. And I just think it's lovely. And I think it's lovely to know that there's still men and women in this world that are creating stuff really 
unique things that are pure expressions of their experience and their passion, um, but they're doing it for the reason of education and honoring. I want to live in a world where there's more of that happening. And so getting to participate in that with them and in my limited role of simply helping provide a platform to share their story, like it's a huge honor, man. Like that is journalism working. Journalism can work to keep city hall in check or your school board looking out for your kids or your oceans clean, but it can also work to just kind of give your community a hug and say, Hey, like, this is cool and beautiful and enjoyable. And, and let's talk about it. Well, I love that. And people truly do love hearing about people. And that's the best part of journalism is sharing these stories. Well, thank you so much, Ethan, for speaking with me. Yeah, right on Molly. It's been fun. Now I'm here with Emily Constantino Lee, Marketing and Promotions Manager for The Independent, to discuss Indie Hops, a Santa Barbara Independent initiative to support Santa Barbara's wonderful breweries and tap rooms. So, Emily, could you tell me a bit about The Independent's month-long beer crawl and how listeners can take part? Absolutely. Thanks. So, Indie Hops is a month-long beer crawl happening in Santa Barbara, and it starts July 1st through July 31st. And you can go into any of the participating breweries to pick up a passport, um, or you can find one in our paper on July 1st. And you go around to the different participating breweries and you get a stamp for each time you buy a pint. And at the end, if you have a full passport, you can drop it off at the passport drop party that we'll be having at the brew house. Um, on Saturday, July 31st, and you will be entered to win uh, gift cards from the participating breweries. So which breweries are participating in the event? So we have seven uh, different breweries, um, Brew House, Rincon Brewery, M Special, Llama Dog, Third Window, Hollister Brewing Company, and Draftsman Aleworks. Um, and Draftsman Rincon and M Special are doing it at both of their locations. So you can go to either or you can get an extra um, an extra stamp and go to both um, and they get an extra chance of winning a gift card. Well, that all sounds very exciting. Thank you, Emily, for speaking with me. Of course. Thanks. The dates for Indie Hops are July 1st to July 31st. Head over to www.independent.com slash Indie Hops for more information. Now I'm here with Charles Donnellan discussing the recent opera, Das Rheingolds, that he saw at the Libero Theater. So Charles, this was the first in-person performance that you've been to since March of 2020. What was that experience like? It was great. It was very satisfying to be back in the Libero, which is one of my favorite venues. And this production, I thought it was just terrific. The Opera Santa Barbara Company had the chance to rehearse in the theater, which is kind of unusual for, uh, I understand, at least two weeks before the production. And it really showed. It was a stripped down production, not a lot of stage sets. Um, nevertheless, thanks to Costis Protopapas, the artistic director, and Crystal Manich, the director of the uh, theatrical aspect of the show, and also wonderful lighting by Francois Pierre Couture, who uh, works here quite frequently. It was just tremendously satisfying. Wagner, in short, uh, that's the other interesting thing about this. It's, it wasn't the full three-hour version, but instead it was a uh, reduction by a composer named 
Jonathan Dove, and it just really works. It keeps it moving. Wagner has a tendency to recapitulate the plot. You know, he'll have a character come on and sing for 10, sometimes 15 minutes, telling you about a scene that you already saw. And so those were those were removed from this version. But the performances were excellent. Kyle Albertson as Wotan was amazing. Great performance by the uh, Alberich, the you know kind of villain of the piece, um, by a singer Timothy Mix. Nina Yoshida Nelson was Fricka. She is a familiar figure here in town. Grew up in Santa Barbara. Wonderful mezzo soprano. And uh, I think the well, the highlight of the of the piece for me was the fact that the orchestra was on stage, and that's not normal for opera. But in this instance, in the reduced chamber version, that was how it worked, and it was just so much fun. First of all, just to hear music again live in a wonderful auditorium, but also to hear this beautiful, brilliant, intricate music played so well, and to be able to. Uh, to see the players, it really was special. I guess the other feature that I really enjoyed that was unexpected, I, I mean, I knew something about it going in, was they had a very minimal set, but it was defined by three prosceniums created by LED tape. So if you can imagine just a, a rectangle with one, you know, the lower side missing, defining three boxes in space, in depth. This was the framing for the various different locations of the opera. You know, a few uh, very simple kind of boxes to give people opportunities to be above and below one another. But then, and it's not a spoiler because uh, this is the only time this, this particular production, I think, will be given. They used colored filters on the house lights for the finale, which is the journey across the Rainbow Bridge of the gods entering into Valhalla. And so basically what happened is the music gets really crazy. They kind of strobe effected the LED tape when the thunder and lightning was happening, when the rainbow bridge was being constructed. And then uh, after a, a few acrobatics by some of the performers, suddenly the entire room was bathed in these rainbow colored lights and the audience was sort of in Valhalla with the gods and it was terrific uh, you know people standing ovation just enormously satisfying and they did a great job with the uh, seating as well kept people from having to sit directly next to anyone that they didn't come with and still really filled the room quite effectively i think they were at half capacity but it felt like more so das Rangold, a triumph for opera santa barbara and it's just a great return to uh, i think a lot of people's favorite room in town the libero and can we look forward to more performances, not only operas, but other art showcases at the Libero Theater in the future? Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, we have a longtime sponsorship relationship with the Libero. They're a great, good friend of the Independent. And they're coming back strong. I think three of the ones that I'm really looking forward to, Pat Matheny is a jazz guitarist who's a regular in the Libero, one of the best jazz guitar players ever. Los Lobos are going to come. Uh, uh, in the fall for a great show. And then the big sentimental favorite for uh, Santa Barbara people is uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. And that's two nights, Labor Day weekends, and that'll be tremendous. Well, as always, a pleasure speaking with you, Charles. Thank you so much. Great to see you. Take care.
Now, in an effort to spotlight all things local, the Indie would like to showcase some local artists who've shaped the music scene in Santa Barbara tremendously. Queen Tide, who identifies their music as porch rock, is a collective of artists and surfers who first began performing at venues like M Special and Soho. To close out this episode, I will be playing West Goleta by Queen Tide. Once again, I'm Molly McEnany, host of The Indie. Tune in next week for another episode. Mm-hmm.